This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 625 with Melissa Guida Richards. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 625. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Melissa Guida Richards is a shameless mom to two little boys and the author of What White Parents Should Know About Transracial Adoption. Melissa uses her gift of writing to help other adoptees and adoptive families. Her work has been featured in The Independent, Zora, Insider, HuffPo, Level at Medium, Electric Literature, and Hello Giggles. And she had a viral article on HuffPost, My Adoptive Parents Hid My Racial Identity for 19 Years. We dig into that in this conversation. And she's also a contributing writer for The Every Mom. So I'm in a Facebook group for writers, and Melissa shared a bit of her story in that group a while ago. And I immediately, as only I can do, reached out and started stalking her and asked her if she would join me here on the podcast, because I think this is a really important topic. And it's not, it's one I'm increasingly seeing spoken about, but I think it's often not spoken about. And I think it's something that needs, deserves more bandwidth, deserves more space and should be brought into the forefront. And I'm so grateful for Melissa Guida Richards for being open to talking about this publicly and sharing her own experience. So she said yes to this conversation and I couldn't be more grateful. Listen in to hear Melissa share her adoption story of being adopted from an orphanage in Columbia, being raised in New York and not being told she was adopted until she was 19 years old. She shares the process of discovering she was Latina, not Portuguese-Italian, as her family had led her to believe. She talks through the process of having her article, My Adoptive Parents Hid My Racial Identity for 19 Years, go viral. She shares the evolution of her relationship with her parents in the years after discovering she was adopted. She tells us what inspired her to write her first book, What White Parents Should Know About Transracial Adoption. She gives us some important notes for white adoptive parents or prospective white adoptive parents. She tells us about her recent or recent-ish experiences of finding her biological sisters and mom. She talks about now having her own kids and how that's created an entire process of grieving around her own adoption. And then she shares how she's connected to her Colombian culture as an adult and as a mom raising Colombian sons. So I'm so incredibly 
grateful and delighted that Melissa is here today. And I cannot wait to have you help me welcome Melissa Guida Richards to the Shameless Mom Academy. Melissa, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm really excited and very honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I think we connected in a Facebook group where you were talking about your book and I immediately was like, hi, do you want to come on my podcast and talk <laughs> about your story? So I'm really excited to have you here. Although we haven't been able to connect much beyond like a couple of Facebook comments. I'm just really excited for this conversation and I know it's going to bring a ton of value to my audience. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited too. As soon as you mentioned me, I was like, yes, totally. <laughs> I love it. And I always feel a little bit weird. You know, if someone shares their book or something that they wrote and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about that on the show. It definitely feels a little stalkerish when I'm immediately like, Hey, do you want to come on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was excited that you had the same enthusiasm as me. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about the dynamics beyond your bio right now in your personal and professional life and also what you're most excited about. Okay, great. So my name is Melissa. I'm an author and adoptee advocate. I started writing about three years ago. And since then, I've written for places like Insider, The Independent. I've had words in The New York Times. And most recently, I've had my second book, What White Parents Should Know About Transracial Adoption. And it's gotten a star review in Publishers Weekly and really great reviews from everybody, really. <laughs> I was really excited about that. And basically, it's the white fragility for transracial adoptive families, but it's written from me, an adoptee, a late discovery adoptee and a multiracial adoptee. So I was really excited to have that come out this year. And my mom, my adoptive mom actually wrote the forward for it. In my little spare time that I have, I I have two boys. I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Oh my gosh. I have 18 questions already. (laughs) So thank you for all of that. I love it all. And can you tell us, I want to go back and I know people listening have questions as well. Like, wait, we need to hear about this piece and that piece. (laughs) We're going to start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your adoption story. Okay. So I was adopted from Colombia at about five months old from an orphanage called Fana. And my parents, they they came there. It took about five months for the whole entire process to be approved and birth certificates and passports and all that stuff. And so I then came to America with them and I grew up in the suburbs of New York and a very Italian family. (laughs) My folks, they were immigrants themselves. They had immigrated from Portugal and Italy. And they were very, very passionate about their culture, about where they came from and all that good stuff. And so I grew up in a family that prioritized that. But unfortunately, the little different part of my story as an adoptee is that I wasn't told that I was adopted. I found out that I was adopted at 19 years old. Wow. And yeah, so it was this huge thing that <laughs> as a teenager, you know, you're already coming of age and dealing with all that stuff. But I had this other level where not only did I have to deal with finding out that I was adopted, but finding out that I wasn't Italian Portuguese like my parents. I was Latina. I was multiracial. I was a woman of color. And I didn't know how to be that and it felt like I was this secret that was to be ashamed of and so that's when I kind of delved into the world of the adoption community and I made a lot of friends on Facebook groups and I started talking to a lot of adoptees that struggled with their identity like I did and it was really interesting to me because most of them already knew that they were adopted growing up and they still struggled and they had a hard time kind of claiming their culture, their birth culture, while also being part of their adoptive family's culture. And a lot of us were kind of like stuck in the middle, too much of one, not enough of another. And it's a very confusing thing. (laughs) I would imagine. And what an identity shift and if not identity crisis at the age of 19 to have to wrap your head around not being who you thought you were. And I hear what you're saying about adoptees feeling that kind of across the board, no matter what age they found out or if they'd always known, but it still seems like it would be amplified at age 19. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it was a very tough time and I struggled for many, many years. It's been about 10 years now and I think I'm in a good place, but it wasn't easy. It took a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy, a lot of boundaries, a lot of late nights crying. And uh, now here we are. So you wrote an article that went viral. The article was titled, My Adoptive Parents Hid My Racial Identity for 19 Years. Can you tell us about the story, the article, and can you tell us how you found out? And then I also want to know what it was like to have your story shared so widely. But if you want to start with kind of just telling us the story of the article, that would be a great starting point. Okay, so... This article covers the time period of when I discovered that I was adopted. So I talk a little bit about my family and growing up in an Italian Portuguese home, but I delve mostly into like the shock of finding out that I was adopted and finding out that I was Latina and my parents hid that from me. And I covered how I went home during break during college and I was with my boyfriend, now husband, and we were just kind of going through the old files with my report card and you know little pictures from kindergarten and stuff like that and I stumbled upon a whole paperwork that had my brother's name on it and I saw my birth certificate peeking out and so I went through it and lo and behold it was an adoption packet with reference letters saying that oh my parents should adopt because they're so great with their adopted daughter Melissa I can't even imagine like I feel like (laughs) That would be like an out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. to internalize that. I definitely went into shock and uh, for about an hour or so, like I really didn't know what to do. And then my first instinct was to find my paperwork, to find more answers. And my parents weren't home at that time. So we were looking and then we couldn't find anything. And then I knew I would have to confront my mom. I already knew that it wasn't going to be an easy conversation. So I was kind of dreading it. But then that's when like the anger hit. And it was just like this huge swell of emotions where already I didn't have a problem with being adopted in thinking like, oh, she's not my mom because she didn't give birth to me. For me, it was never about that. For me, it was about the lie. The lie Mm -hmm. that my parents said like, oh, culture matters, where you come from matters. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, where I came from, my culture didn't matter. And Exactly. But it wasn't just a race. In my family, we grew up, my parents grew up in these really small towns where they came from, Ovar and Salerno in Italy. And when they came to America, that was kind of the first time that they ever met other like people of color. And then even then they kept tighten it with the people that they had in their families and their friends. And, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Republican household that unfortunately did have some prejudiced beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up hearing that. So I touch upon that in the article and not only sharing how difficult it was to find out I was adopted, but the difficulty in finding out that my parents had always said these negative things about Latinos, about people like me, but they would put me in a separate character uh, category and say, no, 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 you're not like them. You're one of us. You're not like them. We're your parents. And so I had to come to terms with being adopted and also figuring out, well, they hid this. They hid my identity. Does that mean that's something I should be ashamed of? What does it mean to be Latina? Why didn't my parents want this part of me? Like, how could they love me and not love all of me? Mm -hmm. And I try as much as you can in an essay like that to cover a lot. And that's why I'm actually working on a memoir about the experience and finding my birth family, because it's this very long story that I could go on for days for. But I tried to sum it up because for me, I knew that adoption was often talked about in purely positive lights and you hear these wonderful happily ever after stories. But meanwhile, there's lots and lots and lots of adoptees struggling out there and adoptees Mm -hmm. often struggle with mental health struggles and adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide. And I wanted to share my story so other people would know that they weren't alone and that you can come back stronger for something like that. Mm. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. 
on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer endocrine system disruption and liver toxicity which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special unique and important in terms of how they are able to filter water they also have water purifiers to fit every type of home so like the installation free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options they even have wi-fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options so I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. What was it like having your story shared so widely? It was a little overwhelming. I honestly didn't expect it to go as far as it did. And I mean, now I think that was like 2019 that it came out. But even now, like I still get messages from people and half of them are really great. And the reception was like amazing from adoptees, from adoptive family, and even people who are multiracial and biracial, they relate a lot to the struggles of identity and family and stuff like that. But then there are the trolls that are Mm -hmm. very angry and mean and have some nasty comments. And I've gotten like a bunch of them over the years. And I could have let that stop me. I could have let that, you know, make me afraid or just too upset to, to keep going. But I knew that the people that I was touching and making differences in their lives, that was what was worth it to me. And that's what keeps me going. And I've created this wonderful community online with fellow adoptees on Instagram. And now I'm starting with TikTok. And we are able to talk about our experiences, to share, to celebrate our wins, celebrate our struggles and how we're processing everything. And it's been really beautiful. Can I ask about your relationship with your parents? Yeah. What is that like and what is your reaction (laughs) to the article? Well, my father has since passed, unfortunately. He passed away about a year and a half ago. But for the first year year, maybe two. It was very strained. I mostly just talked to my father because my mother was the one that kind of really pushed for the secrecy. Mm. And so I was a little upset with her and I just didn't know how to go forward. And being in college at the time, the school counselors weren't really equipped with dealing with something (laughs) like this. But after that, after college, my fiance, now husband, and I moved back to where I grew up. And we just kind of kept having these conversations with my parents. And I was explaining to them what it meant to me and how it hurt me. And while they weren't 
really receptive in the beginning. It was like a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of defensiveness from both sides. We kind of reached this kind of truth where we agree the other had really strong feelings, but, you know, let's just leave it at that. We respect what happened and we're going to kind of move on. But I started therapy with an actual qualified therapist and Mm. I worked through things and then just becoming pregnant and giving birth and having my sons, that kind of changed the ball game for me because I had struggled with some infertility. I then went through some complicated pregnancies. And I realized that the hurt that my mom was going through and the fear that she had, that she really wanted to connect with her children was a lot behind the motivation with hiding that secret. And so for the first time I was able to like really relate to my mother and having her grandchildren, she we had gotten to such a good place where now we talk almost every day and we're really close. And my father, he got sick with cancer and then we got even closer taking care of him and then just visiting so often. And it's kind of amazing how we did this whole 180 on not wanting to talk about it and believing in colorblindness and then now being open where we've gotten to the point where my mom will see something happen in the news and she'll be like did you see that that was so unfair you know like they did that just because he was you know like a person of color that's not cool and she'll bring these things up and or she'll buy a little board book in Spanish just so my sons can have that part of their culture and it's just amazing how much better things are and how much communicating and therapy and effort and boundaries have gone to repair our relationship. Wow. How fantastic. So since writing the article, you've now written an entire book on transracial adoption, what white parents should know about transracial adoption. And you say that it's the white fragility for adoptive parents. And so I'm super curious about this. And this is, I think it's a really critical topic and a really timely topic. What inspired you to write the book? And then tell us a little bit about your favorite part to write. Yeah. So I was inspired to write this book after many heated conversations with my parents and I was at their house nearly every week and my parents are they had this routine where every night they'd make a cup of coffee and they have a little treat and we'd sit down and we'd chat and so I use that opportunity to talk about everything. And I started to tell them about the work that I was doing with adoption. And there were many moments where they they didn't really understand what I was talking about. They didn't understand why I was so passionate. And for them, they were like, well, why are you so angry? Do you wish I didn't adopt you? Like, what are you trying to get at? And so in that moment, I realized that my parents never really had any education to the nuances of adoption. For them, they were told, you adopt a child, you're giving them a better life. That's it. You know, you just be a parent. But adoption is so much more complicated than that. And even if you are that so happy in your adoptive family, you have wonderful experience, you love your parents, your family members, that doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with identity, with mental health, with other things. And so I was inspired by that interaction. I started doing research to see what kind of books were out there. And I saw a huge gap in the literature and most resources were actually written by adoptive parents or adoption professionals. And they covered how fast you can adopt or how to streamline the process, how you can raise money, et cetera, et cetera. But then there wasn't really anything from the adoptees perspective. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create this resource to not only educate adoptive parents, but to give adoptees a voice and to really share that three-dimensional experience versus then the one-sided one that we usually get. And so after tons and tons of research, I looked up peer-reviewed articles by professionals. I interviewed adoptive parents. I interviewed adoptees. I tied in some of my personal experience along with racial identity models. And I have a whole chapter on references and resources and activities that you can do to kind of create this all-inclusive thing where you can get educated on the history of adoption and be really prepared to make that next step versus thinking you're ready and then being surprised later on. (laughs) Mm. Can you tell us 
what are a couple of things that white parents should know about transracial adoption? <laughs> I'm sure the book is chock full of, you know, this is what the whole premise of the book is, but can you tell us just a couple of things that maybe white parents don't quite see before they start this process? Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book is racial mirrors. And for those of you who don't know, that means having people in your life that reflect your identity and having valid and real connections, not just hiring a nanny that is Latina and speaks Spanish just because you want your child to have that interaction. They have to be real friendships and relationships that you can build upon and you can diversify your experience because as your child grows up, they realize that they look different. My own son at three years old, he's a little paler like my husband. And so he comes up to me already saying, hey, mommy, you're brown. I'm white. Why are we different? Mm -hmm. And so little kids realize this at a really young age and they need to have that vocabulary to express their experiences and to improve their self-esteem. And when they have these racial mirrors in the community, whether it's, you know, a family friend that you have dinners with every week, or you make sure that they join this club where they see peers that are like them, it helps them feel more comfortable in their own skin, as well as being able to learn their cultural experiences that you may not understand. And when you grow up in oftentimes white majority areas, and then you're living in a white majority area and your white majority family, you may not realize that your child is feeling different. They're the odd man out and they need a place where they also belong. And they're not the one that's different all the time. And so my second thing of advice that I often tell adoptive parents is you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable because you're not going to know the answers all the time and you might make mistakes, but what's important is that you get up, you learn, and you're willing to admit that so you can do better. And so you can ask for help and you can seek out mentors for your child. You can seek out therapists for you so you can get to that good place where you can be there for your child in every way possible. I love that. Thank you. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Can you talk about any challenges you had writing the book? Oh, (laughs) I think the biggest challenge I had was like the emotional labor that went into it. I was going to ask about that piece. Yes, that by far was the biggest challenge because as I was researching, just let's say like the history of adoption, international adoption, transracial adoption, I myself learned a lot. And like I knew there were like some ethical issues in the adoption industry, but I didn't know how extensive they were. And that we had social workers on record saying that they felt pressured to approve families, even though they know they weren't fit to adopt children. And these are professionals that are approving family home studies and allowing them to go adopt a child. And the hope that they had was like, oh, well, we hope that they realize that they're not cut out for it and they drop out of the adoption. But are we really protecting children and giving them what they need? Or are we just streamlining this process? So adoption agencies are continuing to make money in these multi-million dollar companies. And honestly, the biggest thing that I realized is like adoption is a business. And that was a really big thing to deal with as an adoptee and being like the product that my parents spent not hundreds, but thousands and thousands of dollars to have me. And when you realize that, you realize that adoptive parents have so much power and yet so many of them would reach out to me when I do interviews and just messages on my Instagram and they tell me, you know, I didn't know any of this and I adopted years ago. Like, I wish I knew that. I wish I had an inkling that my adoption agency wasn't ethical, but I wanted a baby so bad. And so knowing that in the back of my head as I was writing this, it was really challenging because I had this heavy weight on my soul that I was like, why am I just the person to do this research? And at the time, it was like 2020 that I was doing this. And adoption has been an industry for years. Like, why am I like the first person to really get into this, into like a mainstream publisher to talk about these issues? And why is it still a surprise to so many people? And it was just a really exhausting time doing all that work, talking about my experience and going through it all. But at the end of the day, I think it was all worth it. And I'm very happy with the result. Thank you for going through all the emotional labor, because I'm sure this book is going to be so impactful to various families. And that's so significant in the long run, even though that work sounds really hard. (laughs) Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about what came up for you around white saviorism as you were writing the book, or if anything came up around that? I don't know if that's something you addressed in the book, but I'm curious your thoughts. Yes, it is. For those of you who don't know, I've talked about Yes, it. I should have explained that. So yes, please, please and thank you. <laughs> I've kind of talked about it a little bit on my Instagram page and other interviews, but the name of the book changed and it really originally was the white savior mentality. So this oh. book really focused in on white saviorism, white fragility and white privilege. And so for like the first or second chapter, I really delve into what is white saviorism and the idea that you're giving this child a better life and that it's up to you to make these changes. And then it kind of puts you on this pedestal where, oh, we have to ignore all the ethical issues. We have to ignore the shady business going on just because we're giving a child a better life. We did our duty. We saved its kid. That's all that's important. But I delve into like why this mentality is really not the best and how 
it can cause such a weight for your child because if you are thinking, oh, I can do no wrong because I did this amazing thing, Mm -hmm. you are going to be unwilling to be receptive to listen to their complicated experiences that may not be good all the time. And unfortunately, when I was processing my adoption and talking to my parents, they were like, oh, so you'd rather be living on the street right now? Oh, where would you be now if it wasn't for me? Making it about them instead of letting it be about you. Exactly. And like that pain of hearing that from my parents, my parents who raised me, wiped my butt, took care of me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like this, like really either or situation where it's like, oh, you can respect the decision I made to save you and love you. Or you can be this ungrateful person and, you know, be angry if you want to be. And so I talk about like not living in black and white and really just facing these pieces of research and experiences from other people that will inevitably make you upset, will make you uncomfortable and will be making you feel some type of way about your choices in adoption. And while oftentimes adoptive parents come out of a place of love, out of a place of wanting a child and their intentions may be pure, that doesn't erase the negativity that can come off of their ignorant decisions. Absolutely. What are the most important takeaways you want people to get from the book? (laughs) Okay. One, like I said before, get comfortable being comfortable. Two, diversify your life from the books on your bookshelf in your home to the people you hang out with to the area that you live. Make sure you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're incorporating all types of culture, especially your child's culture. Can we pause on that one for a second? (laughs) Yeah. Because I actually was thinking about this as you were talking about something else a minute ago. And I was thinking like, do adoptive parents have an ethical responsibility to potentially move out of a white neighborhood to live in a community where their child is more represented and could be more mirrored? And so when you bring that up, when you just mentioned that, like, that's a big step for a family. And also if you're going to not make it about you and not be a white savior, that might be the right step for your family. You just touched on one of the hot button topics in the adoption community. Some people will say that absolutely it's 100% your obligation to do that. But for me, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where I, I definitely see the merit in moving. But as a Latina, as a multiracial woman, I myself am living in a white majority area because it was what's safest around where the area I, I chose to live and it had an amazing school district. And so I can't really sit here and point my fingers at <laughs> adoptive parents right. and be like, well, you need to move where, you know, the school districts are struggling or where your child may not have opportunities like this just because they need to see kids that look like that. But I say that if you're not going to move, if that's not what's best for your family, because you have to take into consideration a lot of different factors when it comes into that. I say you definitely need to make a consistent effort on a consistent basis to make sure your child is receiving that diversity in other ways, whether that's an after-school activity or an additional activity during the weekends that you are willing to go and travel far enough so that child has experiences either in like a black church or, you know, a Taekwondo studio, whatever it is, you are making sure that your child is seeing kids that look like them, adults mm-hmm. that look like them, and just making those efforts on the day-to-day basis. So whether you choose to learn Spanish and so you can bring that language into your home, you're going to these extra miles and you're not just saying, oh, well, it's hard. It's not feasible. I can't do that because it's a little more extra effort. And the reality is if you're going to adopt a child, especially adopt a child of color as a white parents, it is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. It is your responsibility to do that extra mile. And if you are not willing to, and if you ever think at any point that, oh, it's too hard, I'm not going to do it, then adoption isn't right for you. Mm-hmm. And parents need to realize that. And they need to realize that, yes, it's okay to compromise. Yes, it's okay not to do everything by the book 100% of the time, but you have to take these steps. And whether that's hiring, 
paying for group therapy or group adoption meetups online during COVID so your child can meet people safely on Zoom or whatever it is, you're doing that consistently without letting excuses kind of prevent you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. That, I think that's a really important takeaway from this conversation. Is your book just for adoptive parents? No, I mean, I definitely wrote it with like adoptive parents in mind, but so many people can take away so many things. And I have this whole section on search and reunion with birth family Mm. that I feel is very beneficial, not just for adoptive parents, for adoptees. And I've had birth parents read it too. And just people who are interested in adoption, because it has a lot of that history Mm. and a lot of these facts that many people don't know. And I think it's definitely beneficial for a variety of people. And yeah, you can take what you will. It's available in any bookstore. You can order online. The audiobook is out now. And yeah. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you had this journey to meeting your biological parents. Can you touch on that for a minute? Yeah. So originally I did 23andMe, mm. uh, I'm going to say seven years ago. And it was just when like things were starting to pick up and more and more people were doing it. And so that's when I kind of was able to narrow down my roots and where exactly I came from and my ancestry. But then a few years passed, I had my own kids and I got a message from my half siblings and I was able to connect to two half sisters via 23andMe. And that was an amazing experience, but where I realized that reunion is just as complicated as is adoption. Mm. And especially if you're dealing with more than one adopted person, there are so many emotions going through it. And my sisters were adopted into a different family than me in the United States. Oh, they were adopted together? Yeah, they were adopted together. So it was like this huge thing where they had their own feelings towards adoption. I had my own feelings. We were all excited, but we all were still dealing with a lot of the adoption trauma and difficulties Mm -hmm. that come with being adopted. So it took a while for us to get to a healthy place, but I'm happy to say that we are very close now and I am so happy to have them in my life. And I think they are too. (laughs) But, and then I'm going to say about two and a half years ago, a month before my birthday, I decided to search for my birth mom. And I hired a private investigator in Colombia that was recommended to me from one of my Facebook groups of Colombian adoptees. And they were able to find her in three days. Whoa. Yeah. So I luckily had her birth name and information in my adoption documents and the investigator was able to find her, get in touch. And uh, we now talk once in a while. It's not a super close relationship, but what is, is I have another sister and other siblings in Colombia that I talk to on a frequent basis. And we, we are able to have that even across language barriers and countries. We talk on WhatsApp, we send pictures of our kids and we're able to have these amazing moments connecting. And just this week, I had an appearance on Tamron Hall and I took a video on Instagram. Congratulations. (laughs) That's a big deal. Thank you. It was really exciting. But I was doing like a get ready with me type of thing on my Instagram. And I had shared the video and my sister, my younger sister messaged me and she was like, oh my God, I am so glad to see you so happy. You look so beautiful, just like our mother. And like that message, I screenshotted it because it just meant so much to me because I was like, oh my God, just having those little things where like my sister will say, I look like my birth mother. I never had that growing up. And I would see like my adoptive mom with her sisters and her mother and they look like carbon copies of each other. So Mm. I always felt a little left out. I never had those experiences until I had my own children. And then now here I am able to share that. And I share pictures from when I was a child with my other half sisters that were adopted and they shared theirs and seeing that and seeing how much we look like one another has just been so special and so amazing. And one of the reasons why I really advocate for open adoptions for when it's safe and when it's possible. Very, very cool. Do you know, have you found your biological father? No, unfortunately I have not been able to do that. Very exciting though, to find 
multiple siblings and your mom and have a relationship with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Very, very cool. Okay. So now I want to know how has your story impacted you as a mom? (laughs) At first I knew that was going to be like a little piece of me that would always think of becoming a mom would kind of heal that part of me that missed out on experiences with biological relatives. But when I had my first son, I didn't realize how deeply it would affect me and how much grief I would have to face. Mm. Just from the moment of giving birth, I gave birth to my son in the hospital and just holding him in my arms. I found myself bawling and just being so upset because I was like, how could a person give up their child? Yeah. And I had to to come to terms with the situation that my birth mother was in and realize that it didn't mean that she didn't love me. And it was just like the circumstances that she was going through that happened. And it didn't define me in that way. It didn't define my entire life. I had that power to define what this experience and what being adopted meant to me. And so having my kids, you may hear it a lot in like trauma parenting and trauma counseling, if anyone who is familiar with therapy of like reparenting yourself. Mm. And so as I've parented my children and growing up, I'm able to give them the experiences that I wanted as a child. And so for example, like, in my adoptive family, we never had, I didn't even have a Hispanic meal until I was in college. So my son just came up to me this morning, mommy, I want magic arepas from the movie Encanto because we had made them this weekend. And he's like, I need magic arepas. My bones hurt. You need to heal me. And uh, so having that special moment, like I had to hold back tears. I'm like, of course you can have magic arepas. I will get on it right away. So my son has that part of his culture, both of them, just from toddlerhood and they're able to have it be normal for them to to embrace the side of them and to have this history and luckily i married a colombian man so we have that oh very that, cool yeah like, so like you were coming full circle <laughs> <laughs> exactly so we're able to have these amazing things and have family that's colombian that kind of can guide me in the right direction and like my sister-in-law she speaks spanish and my mother-in-law she travels back and forth to colombia all the time so she's always getting us Colombian jerseys and all that stuff. And we're able to have these amazing experiences with our culture while also still, you know, prioritizing and valuing my adopted family. And like my mother loves my children so much and they love their Nana. And we're all able to share that now. And it's just this very beautiful multicultural family that I'm so happy to have. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. How powerful to have that full circle to be in this full circle season in your life. Yeah. Really, really special. Can you tell us in what ways you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? (laughs) I've just recently, I've kind of realized that with the pandemic and working from home and doing what I can to survive that I just need to let that some things go and that my house is not going to be perfect. (laughs) And I may not be the Pinterest perfect mom that I want to be all the time, but that still means I'm still a good mom and my kids are happy. They're healthy and they're having a great time and they're having an amazing childhood. And I'm just kind of letting things go nowadays and taking a break when I need to without feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, I would good. tell my kids, go find daddy and yes. not feel guilty anymore. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Good for you. Yes. I've been like doing a lot of episodes about recently about like, it's okay to lay down and take a nap. Things messy. It's okay to, yes. And especially, you know, the weight of the work that you're doing is so significant. And also, as you mentioned, there's emotional, you know, an incredible amount of emotional labor that goes into that. And so to be an imperfect, shameless parent in terms of the condition of your household is (laughs) a small price to pay for the gifts that you're putting out into the world. Thank you so much. Can you tell people, listeners, where they can find you, where they can connect with you, where they can get your book and all the good stuff? 
Sure. You can find me at my website, adoptethoughts.com. It has links to all my social media and my book. My book is available at any bookstore online or in some local stores, but make sure you check because distribution is weird now because of COVID. But my social medias I'm most active on are Instagram at adoptee underscore thoughts. And you can find me at the same place on TikTok now. And yeah, shoot me a message if you ever want to talk. I love it. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, Melissa, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful. I appreciate how you share your story so openly. And you also really put out a call to white adoptive parents to make sure they really think through all components of the decision to adopt if they're going to adopt transracially. So thank you for that. That's going to be a game changer for so many families and for so many adoptive children. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that because I try to make a point to be honest with my work and to not sugarcoat things, but to Mm -hmm. also invite adoptive parents to have a place at the table where we can make change together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you have to come back when you're done with the next book, come back and we'll (laughs) dig into that one too. Okay. Yes, definitely. I would love to. I can't wait. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.